Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm with Jorge Martí. He is the Secretary of Hands of Venezuela. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. This has been an unusual year, perhaps, for some. You know, 2020 has been a year that has infused the population in many areas with great fear and, you know, with good reason, perhaps. In many ways, you know, it's been a challenging year for social movements, given the level of quarantine and mandatory distancing that has been imposed. How would you describe 2020? Yes, it has been a very strange year, to be uh, frank. And uh, at the end of it, two million people have died from this pandemic. uh, And a large part of these deaths could have been avoided uh, if if the different governments had taken the necessary measures. But this, this was coming into conflict with the logic of private profit and the governments were wary of locking down and taking strict uh, quarantine measures for fear of damaging the economy. Uh, And when they talk about the economy, they mean the the profits, the private capitalist owners. So that's that's what's really marked the year 2020, uh, the realization for many people that capitalism and public health are two contradictory interests and that one goes against the other. Uh, on the other hand, we, we ended uh, 2019 with some really big movements, including in Latin America. We saw the uprising in Ecuador in October 2019, which was then followed by the uprising in Chile 20, uh, uh, 2019 in, in November and December, which was the, the largest in the country's history, I don't know, for 40 or 50 years, really. Um, and this process, these this movements were partially cut across by, by the development of a pandemic. Obviously, if people have to stay home or people uh, have to follow social distancing rules, as you were mentioning, it's more difficult to organize mass movements, mass protests. But nevertheless, these movements have not uh, ended, have not disappeared in 2020. I mean, we have seen the huge movement in the United States, Black Lives Matter, which involved 26 million people participated directly in demonstrations, protests against police killings and police racist violence. Um, but also in Latin America, I mean, we have seen the, the uprising in, uh, in Peru uh, uh, when the Congress decided to remove Vizcarra from power and then the masses came out on the streets, rejected the new appointed president and there was a week of uh, mass demonstrations. Then we saw in Guatemala big protests against the new uh, budget of cuts and, uh, and uh, social austerity, which led to the setting on fire of the, of the parliament building. And we've also seen movements in other places, even in Colombia, where they have a very right-wing president, which could be compared to Trump. There was uh, a few months ago a big protest against police violence, again, after the police killed an innocent uh, man in Bogota. And there were big protests, particularly by the youth. 
which led to clashes with the police, uh, the killing of another 15 people at the hands of the forces of order, so-called, and the burning down of 40 police stations in Bogota. So I, I will say that, uh, yeah, it's been a very strange year, which has been marked by COVID. But uh, at the same time, I think that there's been a, a growing realization that uh, the capitalist system is unable to deal with a health emergency. And also that now, uh, on the back of COVID, although not caused by the, by the pandemic, that there's now a massive capitalist crisis. Millions of people have lost their jobs. Uh, at the moment, the, the main governments around the world are spending a lot of money to try to prevent social explosion by uh, uh, giving relief to people who lost their jobs, uh, trying to keep businesses afloat by uh, government handouts. But this extraordinary, unprecedented uh, government spending will come to an end at some point, and then we will see the real consequences of this new new capitalist crisis, which is uh, basically just a continuation of the crisis in 2000 and 2008. Now, can we talk a little bit about you know the the com- I guess the compounding impact of health in a neoliberal society where for the past 30 years the tendency has been to cut on social safety networks, you know, health, education, um, and and the way that perhaps this pandemic has made visible the contradiction of capitalism and development. Yes, I mean, there's different angles to this, but they all point at the same same question that the capitalism is unable to uh, face to stand up to a health emergency, but it's also unable to prepare for it because, as you say, in the last 10 years or perhaps even more, there's been a, a process of uh, privatization of healthcare in those countries where they have a, a national health service, a state-owned um, health, health service system, uh, and also massive uh, budget cuts in healthcare and, ed- and education, which have left uh, health systems unprepared and uh, in much worse condition to face up with, with a health, emer- health emergency like, like this. This has been one of the aspects of this COVID-19 emergency. The, the other one is obviously the way in which uh, governments have responded to it from the point of view of, for instance, procurement of uh, personal protective equipment for health care professionals and so on, which has been a complete uh, disaster. Uh, by by going into private companies, uh, awarding contracts without any scrutiny under the excuse of the emergency. For instance, here in Britain, it's calculated, uh, there's a new report that's been issued. It says that half of all the money spent in uh, health procurement during the pandemic have been awarded without any uh, public scrutiny or tendering process. It's been awarded directly to people who had connections, connections with government ministers or Tory politicians, government politicians. Uh, And this has led to massive corruption scandals, the awarding of uh, massive bonuses to people who didn't do anything. And uh, it just shows how capitalism is completely unprepared for a thing like this. At a time of a great national emergency, be it a health emergency like this or a natural disaster, it becomes completely clear that the free market is unable to allocate resources, is unable to respond quickly, it's completely inefficient, 
and that on the contrary, a, a state-owned uh, centralized uh, system is necessary to tell companies what they should produce in which amounts to which specifications and that this should not be done in the interest of profit, but it should be done in the interest of, of public safety, if, if you want. And, uh, and this, as I say, has been revealed in, I mean, uh, systems like in, in Britain, where there's been a massive decrease in the last 20 years in the number of people who work in the health service. I think, I think the number of nurses and doctors has gone down by 30%. The number of uh, hospital beds has gone down by 20%. This is madness from the point of view of uh, an e everyday health uh, situations, i.e. The, the winter months where there's more people in, uh, in hospitals and so on. Uh, th this was already a crisis before the pandemic, but obviously now faced with this massive uh, un un unforeseen uh, emergency, this has meant that the, the health service was much more unprepared to, to deal with it. And as a consequence, people have died. It's quite clear. Uh, tens of thousands of people have died uh, that, that could have been prevented. These deaths could have been prevented if there had been uh, a different policy over the last 10 or 20 years of building up uh, public services, uh, including healthcare, education, transportation, and so on. Can we talk a little bit about how this pandemic is also being used to stamp on social movements? You know, before 2020, we saw the uprising of the yellow jackets. You know, in Europe, for instance, we saw the mass people in Bolivia fighting against uh, a coup government. We've, we've People heard of Hondurans fighting against, you know, coup government that continues to be recognized by the U.S. and Canada. So how has this pandemic facilitated uh, the funding of those, um, you know, repressive governments to continue their oppression on their people? Yes, of course. In the middle of the pandemic, imperialism has not uh, ceased. Uh, we have seen things that are completely scandalous, for instance, the Venezuelan government, uh, a long time ago, the Venezuelan central bank deposited uh, part of its gold reserves in the Bank of England for safekeeping. And uh, these reserves have now been seized by Britain and they refused to hand, hand them back to, to Venezuela. So in the middle of the pandemic, the Venezuelan government made an offer to say that if, if this uh, gold reserves, which are rightfully theirs, rightfully belong to Venezuela, were to be returned, they will be put in a separate fund under the scrutiny of the United Nations to be used only for expenditure related to fighting the pandemic, either importation of uh, protective equipment, of uh, ventilators for hospitals, the purchasing of uh, vaccines and so on. And they still refused. The, the British government uh, refused to, to do this. They're using even in the middle of a pandemic, they're using uh, instruments of imperialist aggression, in this case, the seizing of assets, uh, regardless of the impact that this potentially has on, on ordinary people uh, and the impact of the pandemic in, in a country like Venezuela. Or, for instance, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, obviously, Cuba has been a country that's been badly affected. They have had to close down to international tourism, which is one of the main sources of income and so on. Um, they have responded quite well, considering the circumstances. But in the meantime, 
the U.S. government of Trump has increased sanctions against Venezuela with, with the aim of uh, asphyxiating it economically. For instance, the, uh, I mean, there's been like three or four different uh, measures taken during 2020 against Venezuela, against Cuba, sorry, but one of the most damaging is the one where they have prevented Western Union from operating in Cuba uh, in, accept, in, in the transfer of remittances from Cubans uh, living and working in the U.S. to their families in Cuba, which was also a major source of income for the Cuban economy. Western Union is not allowed to operate anymore in Cuba, and remittances are either impossible or much more difficult. This is a time when the country has no other source of income because it's been cut, cut, cut off because the, 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 the stoppage of global transportation, tourism, and, and so on. This, this is uh, really vindictive measures on the part of imperialism, which doesn't stop being imperialism, not even in the middle of a humanitarian crisis like, like this. At a time when, in fact, Cuba has been helping other countries around the world with uh, medical brigades, uh, with the development of drugs uh, in order to, to treat COVID, and, and now the, even the development of vaccines in, Venezuela, in, in Cuba. There are two vaccines in the pipeline, uh, homegrown, produced by, by the Cuban bio, biomedical uh, industry, which could be used uh, very soon for, for, the, for the prevention of, of COVID-19. So, yes, uh, in reality, imperialism doesn't stop, not even in these uh, conditions. I guess the beauty of having to self-isolate or, you know, distance is that you have a lot of time to contemplate what matters to me, what what part is mine to, to do, and how do we engage with that, right? Whether it's the oceans that you care about, whether it's, you know, poverty, housing, whether it's health, whether it's political justice and having democratic governments, whatever it is that really sparks your imagination, there is a way to engage engage with those movements um, how do you keep yourself you know motivated and what excites you about this time we are living yes in fact if you, if you look around uh, the situation in the world there is very little to to be optimistic about I mean but but what can you do I mean this, this is the situation that we live in and, and, and the only thing that you can do is try to understand why this is happening why why uh, I mean, in the United States, the most powerful capitalist country in the world, over 400,000 people have died. In in the in the UK, uh, over over 100,000, and, and similar numbers in other countries, in in countries like Peru, or, or Ecuador, or Brazil, it's a complete uh, disaster. And and I, I wouldn't even trust the official figures for the results of this. So in the middle of all this, what do you do to keep to keep yourself um, active and and motivated well it's just a question of understanding that unless and until we put an end to this system system that is unjust unfair uh, criminal even that is based on on private profit then none of this will change and uh, obviously in these conditions more and more people realize that this is the case and uh, we need to play a role we need to play a role in, in a collective manner uh, we need to engage with this in, in a collective uh, in through collective action and, uh, and what, what's really inspiring is things like what's, what's happened in Chile in the last one year. Uh, mobilization, unprecedented mobilizations, more than a million people in Santiago. And this happened despite massive police repression, 
the, the, the killing of people uh, at the hands of the forces of repression, be that the carabineros, police, or the military, the curfew, and so on. And nevertheless, the people kept coming out and uh, until they achieved at least some of what they were demanding. They, they, they want a fundamental change of everything. In, in the United States, people have also said enough is enough. Uh, the killing of George Floyd was uh, outrageous in itself, but, but it's not just the killing of George Floyd that, that brought 26 million people out on the street. It's the fact that this is not not the the first one, not the not it won't be the last time that uh, uh, a black man, black person, is killed by the police uh, in in complete impunity just because of the color of his of his skin. So this is what's uh, brought many people to say enough enough is enough we need to put an end to this uh, and and this is what should drive political activism uh, this, this uh, alternative which i will say is the alternative between socialism or barbarism i.e either we we create a system which is based on the interests of the majority the collective uh, interests of, of the majority of the of the people uh, where the resources are used to satisfy the needs of the population rather than the, the, the thirst for private uh, accumulation of a small minority. Unless we do that, then then this is what we're faced with, uh, really a capitalist uh, barbarism. But it is it is possible. I mean, the, the movements that have taken place in 2020 are inspiring. The Black Lives Matter was a movement that was in numbers even bigger than the civil rights movement in the 1960s. That's that's something. And it shows also shows you another side to the United States. You, you see on your television screens the Trump mob assaulting the Capitol. And yes, that, that happened. But you have to have a sense of proportion. The, the number of people who assaulted the Capitol were a small number of people. Even the people who were outside in the Trump demonstration, they couldn't have been more than 100,000, probably less. This pales into insignificance if you compare that to the masses of people who came out for the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. These people are dangerous, the, the Trump uh, supporters, but uh, that doesn't mean that they are a majority or that they can rule the day. If we are many, we are we are many more than, than them. And if, and if there was uh, an organization in the United States based on, on working people, they will be able to cut across this polarization, which now takes place along completely reactionary lines. I mean, Trump has been able partially to capitalize on on the anger that exists against the establishment, and he's channeled it in a completely reactionary direction. But that anger wasn't created by uh, Trump. This, this disillusionment in bourgeois democracy wasn't created by Trump. It's been created by the fact, for instance, that real wages in the United States have not have been completely stagnant since the 1970s, while the rich become uh, richer all, all the time. Uh, it's just a question of, of uh, fighting to create an organization that represents the interests of working people that can channel all this anger in, in a progressive direction, rather than this reactionary uh, mob that uh, Trump has managed to, to whip up. Can we talk a little bit about then what it signifies for us uh, to have Joe Biden then? Because most people think, great, we, we won. And, and I, I'm cautiously aware that there is a very small difference between the two. So what what must we, um, as social movements, as social justice um, 
you know, people who want to create a world where everyone can coexist and, and have a right to live in peace and be able to raise children that don't fear pandemics or wars. Um, what must be be vigilant to in this next? I would say this that uh, in reality, I can I can understand, I can sympathize with many people, millions of people in the United States who mobilized to vote. In the presidential election, there was a, a marked increase in the in the turnout, uh, particularly amongst the youth, uh, and they wanted to get rid of Donald Trump. So they they voted against Trump more than uh, in favor of Biden. Biden is a, is a, is an establishment politician, is a capitalist politician, which is completely unable to infuse anyone. Which policies did he did he defend during the campaign? None. Uh, after four years of uh, reactionary uh, demagogue in, in the White House like Trump, he was completely unable to clearly differentiate himself because, because the Democrats are a party of, of, of the capitalists. In this election, the Democrats received twice the amount of uh, business corporate funding than the Republicans did. All the major capitalist newspapers in the United States were backing uh, Biden. I mean, in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement, what did Biden say? He said, well, we need to train the police to, to shoot at the legs instead of shoot people at, in, in, the, in the head. Uh, that, that, is, that is the amount of difference that there is between the, the two capitalist parties in the United States. That's very uh, sad and it's very regrettable. Uh, and obviously, uh, while I, I, I fully understand and sympathize with, with uh, people who went to vote and voted for Biden to kick out Trump, we, we need to warn that Biden is not the solution. Uh, that, in fact, the policies of the Democrats in power is what then led to the formation of the Trump uh, movement. People were disillusioned by the, by the Democrats in power. And now the Democrats are in power and they have and they have control of the three seats of, of uh, power. They have the president, they have the Congress, and they have the Senate. They have no excuse to carry out whatever progressive policies they want to carry out. And uh, I can tell you that they, they will not. They will not fundamentally be different from the Republicans in power. This is a party of capital. The, the, the way they dealt with Bernie Sanders is a clear indication of that. And, and not only this, they will be the party of capital in power at a time when there is a massive crisis of capitalism, when, where, where the capitalists will be demanding massive austerity cuts, an assault on workers' uh, rights. I don't think anything progressive will come from the Biden presidency, other than perhaps a few gestures, uh, empty gestures, which cost no money at the beginning in order to appease many people who have illusions in uh, the Democrats. In relation to foreign policy, we need to be really, really clear on this question. The foreign policy of the Democrats has not been uh, ever different from the foreign policy of the Republicans. We need to remember, for instance, the current regime of sanctions against Venezuela uh, was introduced in 2005 by Obama. Obama introduced an executive order that said that uh, Venezuela is, uh, is a danger to the national security of the United States. And on that basis, all the other sanctions have been imposed uh, on top of that executive order. Perhaps the, there is one thing that we should, should be discussing is perhaps the, there will be a change of policy in relation to Cuba, uh, where Biden might, it's not clear, but he might go back to the Obama policy. But what was the Obama, Obama policy in relation to Cuba? It's not that Obama was a friend of the Cuban revolution. 
he what he realized and a section of the US ruling class realized is that the policy of direct assault against the Cuban revolution, which they followed for 50, 60 years, had failed. And they wanted to try something else, i.e. try the reestablishment of, of relations, the reestablishment of economic relations. And on the basis of that, the penetration of capitalism in, in Cuba, which will destroy the, the revolution. So uh, the, 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 the difference is difference in tactics. The Democrats still want to overthrow the, the Cuban revolution. And uh, I mean, we've had so many democratic uh, governments before carrying out imperialist policies. You, you, could, you could say that uh, Trump, for whatever reason, has not started any imperialist uh, war. Uh, has been a president which has not bombed many foreign uh, countries as compared to previous uh, democratic uh, presidents. That, that doesn't mean that Trump is, is progressive, of course. He had a different approach to foreign uh, uh, policy. That's that's all. But still, the foreign policy of the capitalist class. So I I have no hopes or illusions in in uh, Biden. Uh, all the statements by Biden prior to his um, assuming office, all the people he has already appointed, point in in the direction of a continuation of of imperialist uh, policies of intervention in in other in other countries perhaps some of the methods will change but the aims will still be the same the the, the capitalists have paid for the democrats to come to power they will uh, dictate the policies so how do we continuously seek out the immunity of community, which is the only thing that creates social movements, strength and, you know, contagion for social justice. You know, when we look at the example of Venezuela and the people of Bolivia who have reigned, you know, who have brought the mass party to power, when we look at the examples of Chile, um, how do we energize our social movements in Western countries, you know, in, in Europe, in, the, in North America, uh, with that kind of um, learn activism, you know, because there's learned helplessness, right, where we get traumatized by loss of jobs, by constant aggression from the capitalist system. But there's also a learned activism, you know, this idea of being in community, of moving together, of creating together and continuously staying energized in our own immunity, which is really community, the, the community we co-create together. Yeah, that's, that's completely, absolutely right. I mean, one of the first things that happened at the beginning of the pandemic, when uh, major capitalist countries declared lockdowns and so on, was that spontaneously people came together to help each other. Um, through mutual aid organizations, networks, uh, WhatsApp groups, people checked on their neighbors. Uh, in some cases, neighbors they, they didn't even know. They checked whether they were frail, whether they were they were vulnerable, or they were shielding, whether they needed some some help with people delivering uh, groceries, um, shopping, or anything. And these networks just—I mean, this is the real. Uh, human nature. Sometimes people say, oh, human nature is against socialism or, or a socialist alternative. It's the opposite. Uh, people generally in the face of, uh, of, of of a threat, they tend to band together. They tend, they tend to, to, 
to get together to try to solve and, and collectively face any any danger or any any difficult situation. And this is what's happened: the cooperation of uh, people to solve uh, problems collectively. And uh, and this is what happens every time when there is a major emergency like uh, like this. And this is what gives us hope uh, that there is a collective solution. That uh, despite the fact that capitalism promotes individual individualism and dog eat dog mentality, that that people uh, do gang together, they they organize, get organized, uh, and they come out. And many times in unexpected ways against the police, against looters, and so on. This is the real human nature, and this is what uh, should should motivate us. Uh, this, this is why we should remain uh, optimistic in the face of all these different situations. Thank you again for being with us today. My pleasure. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement.